0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada. Today we continue our series in the book of Daniel, entitled, Singing the Lord's Song in a Strange Land. Today's message is entitled, Confidence in the Day of Trouble. So let's turn in our Bibles with Dr. Neufeld to Daniel chapter two, verses one to 13.
1: I've long enjoyed the running joke about trouble and panicking. We've all heard someone say, now is not the time to panic. Well, the line goes, if now is not the time to panic, then there must be another time when we should panic. So we can imagine flying in an airplane, and the pilot announces that all of the engines have gone out and that he's lost control, and there's absolutely nothing he can do to prevent a crash. And then he announces, this definitely is the time to panic. If you've been holding back your panic until the right time, this is the right time. So please, all passengers, proceed immediately to panic mode. Well, all joking aside, there are moments when it really does feel like the worst of all scenarios are upon us, and we've completely lost all control of the situation. There's nothing we can do, and nothing makes a difference. And if you have ever been in such a place, or if you're wondering if you're moving to such a place right now, listen up. The Bible describes a situation in the early experience of Daniel in Babylon that must have made it seem that it would not last very long. Daniel was about to die. And Daniel chapter 2 begins with these words, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Since we know that Daniel's training would have taken about three years, it's quite possible that the events described in verse 1 happened while he was an intern. But other scholars have pointed out that in the Babylonian ways of reckoning years, Nebuchadnezzar's ascension year would not be counted as his first year, rather his ascension year. And so his third year would have been counted as his second year. I hope that makes sense to you. See, since Daniel was taken captive in his ascension year, it's very likely that the events that are described happened very shortly after Daniel actually graduated from his training program. So we can imagine that he's just been installed as a junior member of the wise men of Babylon. But because of his outstanding performance in his studies, he was no doubt someone whom others might have looked to as one of the young men who had amazing possibilities. But that was all until the worst possible event could have happened, something that was completely out of Daniel's control, and in an instant, he's facing death. Does he now panic? Well, let's look at the book of Daniel and let that explain the situation. I'm reading Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor." Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So let's get a sense of the times in which this was written. In much of the ancient world, dreams were thought of as highly significant. We might remember the dreams that Pharaoh had, the seven fat cows followed by the seven gaunt and starved cows. That's an example of this. In Job 33, where Elihu is lecturing Job, he says in verses 14 and 15, For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber in their beds. Now, for me, this is very interesting. In North America, most of us tend to view dreams in almost a Freudian manner, that that dreams are simply the language of the subconscious mind. Well, I don't have to give the impression that all dreams are from God, for most assuredly they're not. I am reminded of God's rebuke to the false prophets in Jeremiah's day, recorded in Jeremiah 23, verse 25. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. See, evidently there were some who simply believed that any vivid dream came from God, and it most decidedly does not. But we do know without a doubt that sometimes God does communicate in dreams. But in ancient Babylon, it was believed that the dreams were given to the king from the gods, and that's one of the reasons why the king had a staff of specialists that surrounded him, men who specialized in dream interpretation. So in order to understand the crisis that was upon Daniel, we have to understand his times and what was considered wisdom and what provided proper counsel to the king. There were in Babylon four different classes of advisors that stood before the king. The first were the magicians or the diviners. They were a priestly class, those who were learned in the sacred writings of Babylonian religions. They specialized in the wisdom that came from these writings and knew how to apply recorded religious texts to the present experience of the king. Second, there were enchanters and conjurers. These were men who were thought to have great spiritual power, and they were able to cast spells for good or evil on the enemies of the king. Thirdly, there were the sorcerers. They were people who practiced necromancy or spiritism. They claimed they were able to contact the dead, so they were able to consult any dead person for whatever reason. They would aid the king by contacting the great and noble dead for their wisdom. It might even have been thought that the dead could give a a message to the king through dreams. And finally, there were the astrologers, who were also called the Chaldeans. Most often in ancient Babylon, these acted as the spokesmen for the group. They used charts to work out horoscopes. They believed that the position of the stars gave you a sense of your destiny. And so on the basis of the stars, they would chart a course, avoiding evil outcomes and manipulating positive ones. See, long before Nebuchadnezzar, Isaiah the prophet had predicted that all the Babylonian wise men would fail her in the time of her distress. These people were all frauds. He predicted that all these people would never be able to save Babylon when her enemies were upon her. Here's what he said, and I'm reading Isaiah 47, verses 8 to 15 from the NIV translation. Now then, listen, you wanton creature, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. I'll never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorcerers and your potent spells. You've trusted in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is no one besides me. Disaster will come upon you, and you will not know how to conjure it away. A calamity will fall upon you that you cannot ward off with a ransom. A catastrophe you cannot foresee will suddenly come upon you. Keep on, then, with your magic spells and with your many sorcerers, which you have labored at since childhood. Perhaps you will succeed. Perhaps you will cause terror. All the counsel you have received has only worn you out. Let your astrologers come forward, those stargazers who make predictions month by month. Let them save you from what is coming upon you. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. They cannot even save themselves from the power of the flame here are no coals to warm anyone. Here is no fire to sit by. That is all they can do for you. These you have labored with and trafficked with since childhood. Each of them goes on in his error. There is none that can save you. I read through Daniel too, and I'm sure that Nebuchadnezzar had never read the, the prophet Isaiah, but if he had, I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar might have agreed. There were two thoughts in him. First, he had an alarming dream, and it seemed to have great significance. Surely something genuinely frightening was about to occur, and he didn't know what it meant. At the same time, he had a genuine doubt whether or not these classes of advisors were simply frauds and con artists. I wonder how many of us today need to learn this lesson. How many, even among so-called Christians, are relying on an astrological chart, or getting good luck, or carrying some lucky talisman, or tapping something as they go by, or even attending a seance? Do you think that the magical arts will save you in the day of life's catastrophes? If there's anyone who hears my voice today, who's dabbling into the occult or witchcraft, then hear me out. What makes the occult so popular— is that it claims to be able to teach you the so-called deep secrets. But the occult cannot deliver you in the day of trouble. It's a sham. You can't really contact the dead. You're only being played for a fool and you're offending God. The great lesson for God's people is to learn to rely on the Lord their God and not things that go bump in the night or tarot cards or the lines in your hands or some silly aura that's supposed to be around you. Call it for what it is, foolishness and a complete lack of trust in God.
0: Thanks for listening today. You know, back to the Bible Canada, we're excited to announce well in advance an incredible ministry event planned for 2017. From April 24th to May 5th, we'll be offering you the opportunity to join Dr. John Newfeld and back to the Bible Canada's team for what we're calling the New Testament Greece by land and by sea tour. This incredible 12-day journey takes us on a breathtaking and inspiring adventure, tracing much of the missionary footsteps of Paul in ancient Greece, and spending four days on the Mediterranean with a special visit to the island of Patmos, where the Apostle John received the revelation. Well, eight days by land and four days by sea. Join Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway of Laugh-Again, and special musical guests, the Weebs, for an inspiring adventure. Space for this trip is limited to 80 guests, so you won't want to delay in signing up. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Neufeld. The King James Version
1: of the Bible has Nebuchadnezzar not remembering what he had dreamed. But I think that's an incorrect translation. The rest of the passage indicates that he knew the dream but refused to divulge its contents. The passage also indicates that he had many dreams and from what we can say that the one dream was probably a reoccurring dream. We simply don't know how many times Nebuchadnezzar had this same dream, but we do know that he had the same reoccurring dream that deeply disturbed him. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know that God was disclosing his plan for what was to come. He didn't know that God was showing him that his kingdom and others were going to fall to the kingdom of Christ. He did have a dream of a great unusual rock that smashed an enormous statue, and it kept happening night after night, and it felt very uneasy to him. Something was wrong. He wanted assurance and hope, but deep down, he didn't trust his occultic advisors. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king of his day. He was respected, he was feared, his word was not questioned, his armies were defeating all their foes, yet he was haunted by these dreams. Ronald Wallace said the following, man is tempted by the basic insecurity of human existence to make himself doubly secure, and so he grasps after position and fame and wealth and power. But the more he attains and the higher he climbs, the more basically insecure he feels his position, for the more terrible his fall would be. Therefore, the more he attains, the more desperately and anxiously he is driven to strive to attain. And so we have the vicious circle that produces the modern dictator, which forces the dictator in his rule to become more and more harsh, brutal, angry, and suspicious. And we have racial and social minorities driven to become more and more irrational and oppressive in the use of power while it is in their hands because of the fearful sense of sheer weakness in the face of the inevitability of the crushing course of events that must take place sometime in the future. See, every dictator, every king and every president and every leader knows that one day their power will be taken from them. You know, to the most part, they they try not to remind themselves of this. But this dream reminded Nebuchadnezzar of this fact. A rock crushed a statue and that rock filled the earth. What does that mean? But the need for security is not only felt by dictators and tyrants, it's felt by everyone. Normal people have enough of their own insecurities. We all face insecurities about what's going to happen to our jobs and what's going to happen after I retire, what's going to happen to my kids or what's going to happen to my marriage or my health or what's going to happen after I graduate. See, the fact is, we can't control the world, much less our lives. This causes some people to start drinking, and some pursue pleasure, some other diversion as a way to escape the stress that they feel. Some consider suicide. We all react differently to the insecurity of life. But for Nebuchadnezzar, the answer to his insecurity was anger, and he had the power to do something about it. So we notice verse 5. and in, in the original language, it actually reads, If you do not tell me the dream, I will have you turned into limbs. Now, what he meant to say was that if they failed, they would not have a routine execution. In Babylon, there was a cruel form of execution in which arms and the legs of a victim would be tied to four very powerful trees that would be temporarily roped together at the top. And when the rope was cut the victim would suddenly be torn apart into four pieces. So can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar? He's afraid of his dream, but he's also suspicious of his religious advisors. He's afraid that they're frauds and they're not the real thing. So in a moment of irrationality, he thinks that if he only threatens them enough, maybe he'll get what he wants. Or at least he thinks if they really are frauds, well, then they're deserving of death. I had a friend who is a medical doctor, and and he told me once that on occasion, when he has to tell a patient that there's nothing he can do about their illness, occasionally some will show irrational reactions. Either they're going to threaten their doctor with a lawsuit or inform him that he's not worthy to be called a doctor. See, everyone wants to believe that there is a solution to every problem. None of us want to face such an event that leaves us as insecure. Somebody has to do something to solve a problem. But for Nebuchadnezzar, there was a deep suspicion that all of the occultic advisors were impotent. A great rock was threatening him and his kingdom, and it might be that he could do nothing. So let's keep reading the text, verses 6 to 11. Nebuchadnezzar is still speaking to the wise men of Babylon. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards in great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time, and they said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Look again at that last sentence. The wise men of Babylon admitted that they did not know what the gods were saying. They do not hear from the gods at all. It's amazing how many people seem ready to listen to astrology charts, how many seem ready to hear from angels, how many seem ready to even listen to their inner child, but how few... Hear from God. It's also amazing how many people are fooled to believe that the results from a psychic or something like that tells them deep secrets about their lives. Let me tell you why you're being deceived. You know, some time ago I became aware of a test that had been done in a large university psychology class. Students were asked a series of questions and then they handed in the results. By the next class, students were handed out a complete personality profile that declared with exacting detail the kind of persons that they were. Each one was to reveal the individual characteristics of each individual. After that, they were asked to rate the accuracy of the results. Well over 80% of that class indicated that the results were amazingly accurate. But what the students didn't know was that every single student in that entire class had received the exact same results. All of them had identical personality profiles in their hands. How easily we believe personal details about ourselves when it comes from supposed experts. See, false spirituality is like that. It pretends to tell you something about yourself and we're gullible enough to receive it but in the end, this is not the word from God. We have been deceived. And that's the college that Daniel graduated into, men who did not know what God was saying, and in a little while, to his horror. And out of his control, Daniel was going to suffer the same fate as the men who were frauds. So let's read verses 12 and 13. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him. And here now I want us to stop so that we might not miss the point. Daniel and his three friends were brought to Babylon against their will. They were enrolled in the school of the wise men against their will. They almost had no control over what they ate, and so were struggling to make themselves distinct as young men who followed the God of Israel and an evil and in a strange land. And now the final insult. They would be killed alongside of these conjurers and magicians and sorcerers, men with whom they deeply disagreed. Some of us might struggle with this today. You're a follower of Christ. You you disagree with the moral direction of your nation, but when your nation suffers, you know that you're going to suffer right alongside of it. And it is at this moment that we need to recognize something. Your life has never been in your hands, nor in the hands of your nation, nor of your boss, nor of your prime minister, nor of the luck of the draw. Your life now as always is in the hands of God. Don't panic. You belong to Christ. When Paul was sent to prison in Rome, he claimed that he was a prisoner of Christ and not a prisoner of Caesar. And Daniel knew the same. And you, dear Christian friend, you trust Christ when things are out of control, for you have never controlled matters in the first place. Christ controls all matters. Now is not the time to panic. Now is the time to trust the
0: one who rules all things. Thanks so much for today's message, John. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Is is anxiety over the future an indication of our lack of faith? Well, I think it is. Um,
1: We've all had it. I know I have. Uh, I think that anxiety in everybody's life begins to decrease when we begin to trust the sovereignty of God and that God, in his own good pleasure, allows things to come into our lives so that we might be confident in the promises that he's made or in the deliverance he's able to effect into our lives. So when the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication make your request to God, it's asking us to replace fear with faith.
0: Thanks, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Do you have a passion for spreading the truth of God's Word to the nations? Well, let me share with you Dr. John Newfeld's thoughts after our recent journey to India. I had an overwhelming sense of millions of people who have never heard the saving message of Jesus even once. Standing on a sidewalk in Hyderabad, looking down on a crowded street in which thousands of people passed by every minute left me overwhelmed with the human plight. If the gospel is indeed true, that apart from Christ there is no remission of sins, then I find myself profoundly convicted by my complacency over the eternal future of countless millions. Failing to respond to this crisis is a great sin indeed. We have just begun our fundraising campaign to bring the Bible teaching content of Dr. Neufeld to India in English. Telugu and Hindi, and to encourage, equip, and support the existing Indian ministry with a renewed vision for the nation. Our goal is to raise $80,000 a year to launch efforts for a sustainable Bible teaching ministry in India today and for years to come. Would you join us for this great cause? Call us today with your gift at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or donate securely online at backtothebible.ca.